All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 87. My name is Bob Akairi. I'm going to be joined momentarily by my co-host, J.D. Moore. And it's Tuesday night. We want to hear from you. This is our chance to talk about college football with you. And you're just, you're, we enjoy hearing from you. We value your thoughts on what's going on. So as we go ahead and fire this up, as JD's about to join us, feel free to hit request. We'd love to hear from you. I can see my co-host is here right now. I'm going to go ahead and send him that invite. And let's get some people up here. Let's see here. See two, a couple of folks already queued up. We'll get to everybody we can. So Everett, what's up? Can you hear me? Sure can. Oh, just wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, obviously, we all saw it coming, but Nebraska is first place in the Big Ten West. I'll hang up and listen. What a time to be alive. Uh, you know, technically, one of their only losses in the Big Ten didn't even come on American soil. Uh, you know, I'm sure that they're going to be petitioning that to the office that that loss shouldn't count. Uh, but once again, just what a time to be alive. This is a year where, you know, not only is Nebraska in first place, uh, but the team with the best record right now is Illinois. Uh, with Brett Bielema uh, leading up that charge for the Illini. Uh, this has been a fantastic year uh, in at least the sickos content for the Big Ten West. I am delighted to see this kind of absolute chaos. And Bobak, I know you've been able to see a lot of different weird things happen in the Big Ten West before. But man, isn't it just a delight to see how wide open a division is in this year? Absolutely. I mean, it looks like what Nebraska and Illinois we were just talking about just a few minutes ago. They are they are as likely to take this as anybody else. It's a open season. It's going to be interesting. One of the funnier takes I heard or at least read was you can tell Penn State and Maryland are like, why are we still in the East? I mean, why are we in the East? This is this would have been our year had we been in the West. But that's just how the cookie crumbles. I mean, we see that in every major conference. But you know, it, optimistic for Nebraska. I mean, it gives, I mean, like I say, optimistic, like Nebraska's going to take it all and win the, the Big 12, probably the Big 10 title. But certainly it's a good reset. It's something that will give the team something to fight for each week. And I think that's what they need there. And I, I did enjoy that quote from Whipple today that some of you may have seen. It was tweeted by one of the, the beat reporters in Nebraska where, you know, they're, he, he was saying like, I, I got to be, and it was so funny too. There was a comment that how many newspapers had to go if they could print the quote, but he's like, I like, I got to be a dick because otherwise people don't listen to me, which I thought was hilarious. He was talking about getting the Nebraska players and just any program. I think sometimes you gotta, you gotta be a little bit, a little bit sharper than, than sugary, but thanks so much, Everett. It was great starting off with that. Hey, Grayson, you've been patient. What's up? What's going on, man? Can you hear me? Sure can. I just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on uh, DJ Uyunglele's play. Uh, obviously, last uh, this Saturday was a big win against NC State, and you turned the page from to 2021, and it felt like the entire world was just – the criticism was com very, very heavy. Everything that he went through in terms of injuries and just all that stuff. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how he's really turned the – really flipped the script for this college football season, putting Clemson in the uh, driver's seat for the ACC. I think this was the transition that everybody wanted to see out of him as a five-star recruit, thoroughly uh, recruited, heavily recruited by several different programs. Uh, and, you know, everybody thought he was going to be the heir apparent to Trevor Lawrence and continuing on just the absolute killing machine after, you know, Deshaun Watson is so great at Clemson. Taj Boyd is great at Clemson. Trevor Lawrence 
you know, lived up to the hype as one of the greatest recruits of all time. Uh, but last year, you know, we had a down, down year with Clemson, and a lot of that came from that offensive lack of production. But if you look at this year, I mean, the defense is there as usual. Uh, but then you've got games where you can win in a shootout, like against Wake Forest, where you're going into overtime and you're putting up 51 on the board. You're putting up, you know, 48 against Louisiana Tech. You're putting up 41 against Georgia Tech, against those teams that you need to be putting up points against. I mean, last year we were watching a Georgia Tech game uh, with Clemson and Georgia Tech was still in it with the last couple of minutes remaining. And I remember just so vividly everybody wondering if DJ was going to be the guy or not. Uh, But really, advanced quarterback play is really what Clemson needed uh, in order to be back in that top uh, echelon of college football. And especially with them now kind of running through the ACC, we saw them get the win against Wake Forest. They had a great win at home against North Carolina State. It kind of seems right now uh, that it's going to be theirs to lose in the ACC once again, which last year we didn't see that at all from Clemson. We saw kind of a little bit of a deflated version of the Tigers. We saw a Dabo Sweeney that didn't have enough fire in him that we had typically seen in the past, but DJ's play and especially his ability not just to read downfield, but for him to be able to make his progressions and really become that five-star recruit that everybody was hoping for, that's really changed the uh, paradigm, at least for Clemson, for this upcoming season. And Bobak, I mean, I know that we talk a lot about you know, who could be in that fourth team in the playoff? Because, again, I think we, uh, you know, Andy Stables disagreed uh, the other night and thought Tennessee might be that crazy plausible uh, contender in the SEC East to pull Georgia out of it. Uh, but right now, Clemson has to look like they're one of the easy favorites for the playoff this year, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, inevitably, there's going to be losses among these top 10 teams. And Clemson, I think, winning out would have as much of a shot as any. And they've got the track record. And I think all the sort of critique that that Davos had to endure in the last couple of seasons, I mean, in the end, he's got that reputation. And I could see the playoff committee, while they supposedly don't look at past before, they're they're not supposed to look into the past. I don't think they they wouldn't be a little bit swayed by the fact that he has that experience and he would make a compelling team, especially if they're looking stronger and stronger as they seem to. As the season goes along, Clemson, I think, would have every shot at that. You know, just to kind of – I mean, I don't you've, – you've said a lot of what I thought. Uh, but I do want to say, especially with the quarterback, you know, we're so quick to, to judge. And, you know, as they develop over time, they, they, you know, they progress. So maybe I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a quarterback who can learn, a quarterback who can develop and become, you know, a contender leading a national championship team. Because, I mean – the, the example I remember watching, especially when I was getting really into college football as, as a student and then as a, you know, right after college, was Carson Palmer. He came in. Everyone thought he was going to be awesome at USC. And then, you know, he struggled. They had to start him way too early because of all sorts of problems they were having with the program. So he wasn't quite ready. And then, you know, a couple of ho-hum seasons, one that got ended early by injury. Then the first year under Pete Carroll, he's okay. And then finally that his senior year, he just took off and became all the talent he was supposed to. And I'm going to tell you, no one, I mean, in, and USC was so surprised, I think, as much as anybody, that they actually started his Heisman campaign midway through the season. He didn't even go into that final senior season as a Heisman contender. And I'm not saying that's necessarily what's happening right now at Clemson, but certainly when you see a, a quarterback start to develop and start to appear, I think that's what we expect. I mean, these guys come in, they're young. We always forget that sometimes. I mean, 
I remember how dumb I was, or not dumb, but just how we grow in that era and just physically, athletically, you know, with the ability to command a team, it's quite possible. That's what we're seeing right now. And, and I, I'm excited to be a part of watching that as a fan, um, as an observer of college football. You know, I do want to at least speak for the record, though. Uh, I was dumb at 18. I'm still fairly dumb now. So just because you weren't, I can guarantee you, you know, you go through that growth. I can't even remember 18 anymore. That's the problem. (laughs) And I'm not going to say like I was, it wasn't like I was doing it. I just want to see. Age just caught up with me. I barely remember it. So, (laughs) oh, goodness. Well, that was a great question, Grayson. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Um, Yeah, thank you. Hey, Garrett, you've been really patient. What's up? Oh, can you hear me? Sure can. Yes, sir. Cool. I feel like I'm. Uh, feel like if this was a rewards program, I feel like I'd be a uh, part of the club here. So, kind of, kind of hey, happy you guys are hey, doing listen, this. You know, you put in two more calls. Your next one's going to be free. How about that? <laughs> hey, I'm going to be right up ne- there next to you, JD. That's uh, that doesn't make me feel bad. Hey, I guess first thing, I'm I'm happy. Uh, I, I guess I. This year, the Big Ten West is just the conference that'll be known as firing your coach halfway through the season. So, and that actually doesn't make me feel all that bad. I mean, honestly, the whole Brett Bielema thing ending Paul Chris's career at Wisconsin is incredible. But no, I, I think my main question now: we're five weeks in, we kind of see the top end of of the of this top twenty five, and and we see the AP poll, and we're you know what about a month or so away from the CFP and. Am I wrong to think that there's still six or seven teams that are truly in the mix for this four-team playoff? I mean, I, I think people have confidence that Alabama, Georgia, and Clemson are going to be in it, but we don't know where. You know, Ohio State's making a very good case, and, and my Michigan Wolverines are making a very good case. I mean, sure, they could have dropped more points against Iowa, but then again, Iowa can't get out of its own way on offense. But, you know, I think when you take a look at what, it's here in, in football right now, like really outside of Clemson, Michigan, and maybe even USC. I mean, there really isn't a team that's kind of jumped into the fray that said, Hey, you know, I'm worthy of being here. And maybe college football needed this having multiple teams being involved this late, I guess maybe this in the middle part of the season, which I guess is good for all, but I don't know. I mean, I just wanted to get your guys' thought on that. Garrett, first and foremost, you come on my show and you disrespect our undefeated Kansas Jayhawks like this? How dare you, sir? How dare you? Uh, But no, seriously, though, I think this is still a lot more wide open than people imagine right now. I think a lot of us are just looking to the end game of, you know, who has the most blue chip recruits, who's probably going to win the national championship. I think that fourth slot is still really wide open right now. And you mentioned some of the contenders, uh, Clemson, Michigan, USC. Uh, You know, there are still quite a couple of teams that are undefeated in the Big 12, like Oklahoma State could very easily run the table or finish with one loss tcu you know after that beatdown against oklahoma which i don't think anybody saw coming you know sunny dykes might mm-hmm. have had something completely revitalized uh out in fort worth and they're still open uh and in the running and then in the sec i mean we had andy staples last night talking about tennessee who was also undefeated uh took care of their business against florida uh and you know if they end up going on a run and they can beat georgia i mean a little come down to an sec championship game uh for them to possibly get into the playoffs uh so when you look at who's still on the board right now 
now, I think that fourth slot is still completely wide open for right now. Uh, granted, I know that everybody wants to defer to those uh, typical blue bloods. I know I'm one of them myself because, you know, it kind of feels like we've seen this movie all before. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about some crazy stuff. Let's talk about a crazy possibility of, you know, Alabama barely squeaked by Texas. Uh, what happens if they play another orange UT and uh, Tennessee finally breaks the streak against Alabama? What's the narrative that changes there if that were to happen? What happens if, you know, Georgia is struggling to score a touchdown against a Mizzou-type team? You know, Lord forbid they go up and they go play, uh, you know, a Vanderbilt or someone else like that, and they're struggling again just like that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of narrative that can still be changed. And, you know, I'm going to hope that there's absolute chaos this year uh, so that we get to have some kind of new blood in the playoff because that's always thoroughly entertaining to watch. First off, you're, you you just right there, meant, you didn't even mention among the undefeated teams, the future Big 12 champion, Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, J.D., come on, man. <laughs> like, he, you know, he is, he is a, a hypocrite and a complicated man. <laughs> no, I, I think, but, but J.D., I think you're so right. I mean, obviously, like me living in the state of Michigan, right? Like, you know, for years it's been awesome to have both programs doing so well and obviously seeing obviously Michigan state's taking a step back this year, but you know, Michigan seems to be so far in control of things or in, in the driver's seat. I think you are right. I, I do also think too, that people need to seriously consider one. I think people nationally are cons- seriously sleeping on Ohio state. Although I think Ohio state really needs to get Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba back before I think we can really all start assessing that team. But I really think that that two week stretch from Georgia, there really scared me, I guess, as, as a guy who I, I guess wants to put faith in Georgia and, and, and look, I mean, obviously big 10 sec, there's always a rivalry there. I mean, I guess, I, I guess, I don't know. I'm just at a point where I do want to see new blood. And honestly, I'd love to see Utah on there. Heck, I actually really think Oklahoma state really is under the radar. I mean, Spencer Sanders for, you know, for as much as people give him flack for not being a great quarterback, he fits a lot of the modern, you know, two-way style of quarterback that I think pro offenses are running nowadays. And he seems like he's just a very smart game manager and also a very incredibly gifted passer as well. Not to mention that those Mike Gundy teams are always going to have a little bit of character and attitude to them. So, I mean, it is still wide open. And I think this has been great for college football. I guess, I, I don't know, I guess I'm just not as sold that one through four are as concrete as they are. I mean, you can't, you know, you could even argue that Alabama may not even be the number one team in the country. Some people might think it's Ohio state, maybe even Clemson for that matter. I mean, cause that was obviously a very decisive win over uh, NC state last weekend. I think we've definitely seen less uncertainty from the two big 10, you know, contenders. I mean, Maryland is, you know, obviously the last two games for Michigan were, I think, a little tougher than that first three. I mean, obviously you can't Colorado State, Hawaii, UConn. All right. They, they were exactly – they were who we thought they were when Michigan played them. But Maryland appears to be a strong team. We'll see more as the season progresses. Iowa, heck, just getting in and out of Kinnick with a win is a plus. They are – they can't get out of their own way, but they also tend to drag people down I mean, with them. But what's crazy is if Michigan wants to break a streak, you might as well just go play Iowa in some ways. I mean, what they they hadn't won a Big Ten title since since Bush two was in the office. So I mean, that just tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> you know, and so I I think when we're talking about the safer teams, I wonder if it it will be whoever comes out of the Michigan Ohio State race to be that leading contender from the Big Ten East. I'm not sure Big Ten West. While it's entertaining, there's certainly – I mean, you were just talking about how they have the two early, you know, firing. So does the Pac-12 South. So those two are definitely the more entertaining 
divisions within the P5 right now because of the chaos of just chucking coaches and, and you know, random teams, although USC certainly isn't a random team to kind of lead that. But, of course, you know, Pac-12 South, you've also got Utah and USC. So you've got the two strongest teams, or at least the strongest contenders, and you have the two chaotic teams, while the Big Ten West is more just fun chaos with without any clear pathway. So, But I do agree with what J.D. is saying. I mean, what we saw from Georgia – Alabama, you know, they've, we've seen games where we've been a little bit questioning of whether or not they're going to be a contender, and that may open up finally some more new blood. I mean, last year, I mean, was a great year. We had Cincy finally make it, so you, there was new blood. Michigan, heck, that, even though they were blue blood, they were new. They were new blood for the playoff. So maybe this will be a year where we'll see someone like an Oklahoma State or a TCU, since those two, or even a Kansas. I mean, well, dream. <laughs> I'll remember to mention them, JD. But I, you know, we'll see. I. I I'm really curious to see how this pans out because, as you were just saying, Clemson has has just as open to try. Of course, that would be a, a not that would be a return to what was several playoffs in a row. But I'm I'm curious to see where it goes with all of this for sure. No, so I am. You, doing... Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say, how are you feeling about Michigan heading into you know next game? So, I mean, Bloomington's always a place where people think it's easier to win. I mean, I, I actually think Tommy Allen's got himself a solid program there. I really, truly do. I think they'll be fine. I think the big test is obviously going to be Ohio State. Thankfully, they have them at home. Obviously, thankfully, that that's something that I think for Michigan, they benefit from having two of their three rivals at home. Obviously, Michigan State and Penn State. I don't know. I guess for me, it's just one of those things where – I feel good about them going into Michigan. Honestly, if they drop 35 in, in, in Indiana or against Indiana, if they just hold Indiana under like 21 points or and they just score 35 themselves, they're good. I guess I am a little worried about Michigan's defense, especially that pass D going up against Sean Clifford and that, you know, Penn State offense. But again, I mean, they've seemed to handle every punch the last probably two plus years and handle adversity real well. And I mean, JJ McCarthy last week going out and, putting up that first drive like he did was impressive. I mean, it was impressive for a young guy who hasn't had a lot of, you know, time on the road to go out there and, and do, uh, do what he did. So I, I don't know. I think, uh, I, I thought it was impressive. I mean, I, I think it's fine. I think they'll be okay moving forward. Um, I don't know if there's another team that they're really going to run into that's equal until, you know, caliber wise and is Ohio state. And even then, you know, Ohio state's good, but you know, are they going to be good enough to be, you know, Alabama and, and Clemson and all those other teams. I mean, we, we just won't know. Absolutely. Well, Garrett, thanks so much for joining us. We really enjoyed the the chat over all of these topics. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate you having me on, man. I'm going to be listening. Uh, I'll be, I'll be tuning in a lot more. So like I said, I want those, uh, I, I, I enjoy this space, man. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, no, you've been really patient. We'd love to hear from you. What's up guys. Hey, so, a couple questions here. So, diehard Arizona State fan here and alumni, so obviously I'm depressed. So, ASU has always been a program that, you know, can win about eight to nine games a season. You know, one, one of Todd Graham's years, he won ten. Um, we've always been a program that can win every game except for the big one, except for the one we need to win. So, obviously, with the Herm Edwards firing, with the impending NCAA violations, I had a couple questions. Number one. Who do we get as a coach, do you guys think? Is there any spe- is there any truth? Is there any legitimacy to these Deion Sanders uh, connections, which, God, I hope there is? And number two, where do you think we just go from here? Where do you think the NCAA violations are going to be? What do you think is going to happen just with the program with Arizona State? Because with the location, with the weather, with the school, with the, the party school vibes and stuff like that, it seems like we have all the, the makings of building kind of a powerhouse but it just seems like we can't do it and it just seems like every year we're stuck in mediocrity 
and all we rely on every year is beating, you know, that team in Tucson. That's the only thing we look forward to as fans every year. So I just wanted your guys' thoughts on the, the state of the program. Well, first and foremost, I mean, you know, there's always something to look forward to when you have a territorial cup that you can beat your opponent 70 to 7 and you're going to chase that high again and again and again. That's not necessarily the worst thing to have uh, as a college football program. Uh, Now, that being said, with the state of Arizona State, um, I don't remember where I first saw this. So my attribution is not going to go in there. Apologies to whoever originally said it. But sometimes when you have a sleeping giant for a very long time, sometimes it means that the giant is just going to sleep and it's not actually there. Uh, And I think that's kind of the state of the program with Arizona State. Yes, they have a fairly decent recruiting base in uh, the state of Arizona. They've got, uh, you know, power five opportunities in the Pac-12. They have a very large uh, student population, very large on-campus population, fairly nice facilities. Uh, but one of the big issues that you're always going to have with Arizona is, uh, you know, you can look at the kickoffs for the remainder of this month, and that's going to be a lot of kickoffs even at night uh, when you're looking into the 90s, possibly 100 degrees uh, when you're trying to play football. And that's always going to be a difficult issue in trying to get talent to come and stay at Arizona State. Uh, as far as who you can get into the program to put in that juice. Cause I firmly agree. Like Arizona state is a program that should at least consistently be winning that seven, eight, possibly nine, 10, every other, well, let's call about four to five years when you have a full development cycle. Uh, that's a program that Arizona state, I think that's going to be its ceiling, but there's no reason that it can't continually do that. Uh, if I were to look at some of the options, I can tell you right here and now, uh, Deion Sanders will not be going to Arizona state of that. I can guarantee you, uh, he's going to be, if he chooses to jump up into the power five, I see him doing something much more along the lines of somewhere, uh, in the Southeast or somewhere where, uh, he has the fertile recruiting ground right underneath him uh, in order to pull in recruits to his region. Because again, Deion Sanders, we've shown that he can recruit people to an HBCU, but you also got to remember he's in a very specific region that is close to recruiting uh, and able to get the resources that he needs uh, in order to pull that type of recruit in. I would see him much more likely uh, to take a job in Florida or in Georgia or in Texas uh, before I would see Arizona state. Uh, That being said, If I were to take a look at one coach uh, that I would absolutely love to have as the next guy at Arizona State, it'd probably be Brent Brennan uh, out of San San Jose State. Uh, He's a guy who has shown that he can win with very few resources. He's a guy who knows the West Coast, and he's also a guy who has a couple of ties to Arizona himself. I think that he'd be a fantastic fit in there as a younger coach. I see a lot of different uh, articles saying, like, you know, maybe you try a retread like a Dan Mullen or possibly a Gary Patterson or something else like that but i mean y'all can easily look you know just down the road down in tucson uh down i-17 and you can easily see what happens when you have a retread coming in to come be your head coach and i don't think that's what arizona state wants to do Uh, i think you would have to go somewhere uh younger somewhere newer i'd look at possibly jay hill out of weber state uh pull him up from the fcs level because he's a guy who also can win with fewer resources he knows how to be innovative and that's really what Arizona State needs now. It's someone who's innovative and grounded and not trying to do, you know, this uh, new leadership model under Ray Anderson or something else like that. You need somebody who can be consistent, can benefit from having more resources and is still on the climb up, not the climb down. 
You know, J.D., can I ask, do we think Arizona State's going to try and go with an established coach who's sort of looking to restart again? I mean, we saw with Dennis Erickson back in the day, and obviously (laughs) that's exactly what they just chucked out the window with Herm. So would we see someone like maybe a little on the younger side? Because Herm was also a little bit further along. I think people were just surprised they pulled him out of that many years of retirement. And he wasn't terrible but not quite where Arizona State fans want. Because I know Arizona State, Arizona State's one of those programs that constantly wins. I mean, a losing season at Arizona State is a rare thing. They may not be winning 10 games every season, but they typically get in bowls. And I mean, they, oh gosh, they got so close that one year. Was it, oh, was it? Um, Oregon State. Or- yeah. Losing to Oregon State. Oh my, it hurts me every time I think about it. Yeah, there's just, I always feel bad because Arizona State's come close a couple of times and just, just, just fallen short of, of reaching just incredible heights. So there is a lot of potential there. And, and I mean, setting aside some potential complications with the way conference realignment is going and available budget. J.D., one coach, I mean, a couple of coaching candidates I've heard are like Tom Herman. Do you think he might be someone who would come back? Because he can succeed. I mean, he Texas clearly, I mean, actually we're kind of comparing, you know, had coaching records, it wasn't all that different. But he, would he be someone who might be interesting at Arizona State? Um, I would love to see Tom Herman at Arizona State. I think he'd be a uh, very interesting hire. I think he's a guy that could win at Arizona State. Uh, but, you know, I do want to at least touch on one thing. I can't believe that you've mentioned all these retreads at Arizona State, and you didn't even mention that one time that they attempted to hire June Jones in 2011 until he was brought on the plane and told on the tarmac, no, absolutely not. Our boosters are in absolute revolt. You need to go back to SMU. Um, But at least as far as uh, Tom Herman goes, um, you know, I think one of the big things that we're also going to have here is I don't think it's still clear about Ray Anderson, the current athletic director at Arizona State, on whether he's going to be involved in this search or not. Uh, If he is, I think it's going to be a little bit more tenuous. Uh, If he's out, presumably he'd be out of a job at Arizona State. Uh, But I think that opens up the idea a little bit more on who they can look at. As far as Tom Herman... Oh, go on, go oh, on. So is, is there a Brian Harston sweepstakes that some teams are actually waiting for? <laughs> you know, when he gets pushed out the door, will there be a team that'll be willing to to try and snap him up? I mean, I think Colorado is already waiting on line one for that, uh, along with uh, Paul Christ and uh, a couple of other guys who have recently seen the door. But uh, yeah, uh, I there there's a couple of retreads that. Uh, you know, I, I see Dan Mullen kind of being like a Kevin Sumlin 2.0. There are some inherent problems that don't get fixed, especially when it comes to a coach who isn't interested in recruiting or isn't interested in development, at least with Tom Herman. I mean, he was fired after a 7-3 and three season at Texas. Granted, 7-3, and three, at least to Texas, uh, is not the standard that they want. And he had a couple of maturity issues as well, which was ultimately part of the reason why he was forced out. And then the whole Quinn Ewers losing him to Ohio State, despite the fact that Ewers is now back in Texas after Tom Herman has left. Uh, you've got a couple of different scenarios there that uh, there's a lot of maturity issues. But perhaps after being fired and going through a little bit of stuff with his own personal life, taking a little bit of time off to work in the NFL, and I think he's now doing uh, uh, analyst work for CBS Sports right now. Uh, so, you know, having that opportunity to be off, kind of do some self-reflection, uh, that could be a little bit of a safer uh, decision if we're going to go with uh, retreads. 
but I don't think it would necessarily be uh, all that bad. Uh, Eamon, I, I see that you uh, have had your hand raised. Why don't you go ahead and uh, unmute yourself? We'd like to hear your thoughts. So I am a long-suffering Maryland Terrapins fan. I saw the glory days of Freegen and then, you know, the horrific days of Randy Etzel, the horrible thing that happened with DJ Durkin, and then just them getting slaughtered in the Big Ten this every single year. And then finally, this is honestly the first year that I've ever really had hope with them. So, and the fact that, you know, we made it close with Michigan, I just want to know what your thoughts on them are. Yeah, we were kind of touching on that a little earlier in the show. This is a year where both, I think, Maryland and Penn State kind of wish they were in the Big Ten West because then there would be potentially a little bit stronger competition. I mean, a little stronger opportunity to stick out because this seems to be a, a solid year for Maryland. They've always had those seasons where, you know, that those <laughs> back-to-back years where they beat Texas in the opener and, and, you know, everything gets really hyped over there. We, we had those signs where ex- I, I still love the sign excessive juice warning that they were kind of bannering uh, around <laughs> on the sideline of Maryland. But this seems to be a, a strong year for them. I mean, they obviously – they had a decent enough showing against Michigan that, you know, they, they fell to it fine, but then they went and defeated Michigan state, which, which isn't looking the strongest, but that's, that's a win is a win. They have a winnable schedule with Purdue, Indiana, Northwestern, and now Wisconsin, which is completely, who knows where, what Wisconsin is going to do now that they just fired their head coach. And then they get a couple of toughies. They're going to be at Penn state. And then they host, at least they host Ohio state. There's certainly a path to, I think a, a strong bowl season here. I'm not sure how far beyond that I would go, but at this point, I think there there's a season that Terps fans can be excited about. Do you agree, JD? Oh, I firmly agree. I think one of the big issues that you know skeptics had about Mike Loxley taking the job was his horrific record as a head coach at New Mexico, uh, going I think it was something like three and thirty-three or some, somewhere similar along those lines, where it was just a horrific record. And people were going, "Well, yeah, he went to the Nick Saban school for wayward coaches, but is he really that much better?" Well, now he's taken Maryland and he's made them fairly consistent bowl contenders. Now, I don't think they're going to be winning the Big uh, Ten East anytime soon but you kind of just mentioned the perfect opportunity for maryland of you know show competition against the blue bloods like michigan uh don't embarrass yourself like don't be posting 78 to nothing games when you're hosting a team like a ohio state or a penn state uh and win your games that you can win and try to get to that six win seven win threshold get yourself into a pinstripe bowl get yourself to a quick lane bowl uh and just kind of build a program that can be long-term sustainable I think Mike Loxley has done a wonderful job of that so far with the Terps program. And I think right now you have to show a little bit of optimism uh, to see how Maryland's playing right now. Yeah, I know Virginia Tech rested most of their starters, but we still beat them 56 to 10, I think, last year. Yeah, well, thanks for joining us. It was great to talk a little bit about Maryland football. Uh, I just want to do a quick station ID. You're listening to RCFB Talk 87. It's Tuesday night. We're hearing your call. So if you want to chat, we'd love to hear from you. Just feel free to hit request. We'll try to get as many of you as we can. Hey, John, what's up? We'd love to talk to you. Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Good. Awesome. So I just want to talk about the uh, college football juggernaut that is uh, James Madison University. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll be honest, as the Old Dominion fan, I, I can't give him so much love, but I sort of have to just because of what's, what's going on to him this season. I mean, they're they're dominating the Sun Belt. 
I mean, they they beat App State. It was uh, essentially a favorite for the Sun Belt. What it looked like, at least looked like early in the season. I mean, I mean, absolutely blowing out every other team they're playing. I mean, it looks like they could be a favorite for for the conference, uh, getting top twenty five votes. But as you guys probably know, they can't they can't go to the Sun Belt uh, Conference Championship, nor can they go to a bowl game this year because they're technically transitioning over from the FCS to the FBS. So I guess my question is. Is this does this rule still really need to exist at this point? I mean, when what I mean, is this something we need to we need to change? Because it seems insane that a team that most likely is going to be in the top twenty five the next couple of weeks is going to be denied the chance to even be in a bowl game or even in the conference championship. I just it doesn't seem doesn't seem something that's really should be doesn't seem okay, even as someone who doesn't like JMU, honestly. Yeah, you know, we actually chatted with their athletic director. He came on the show, Jeff Bourne, um, last week. It was a good chat we had with them as they're developing out. And they, they really took their time to thoughtfully rise up to FBS. And it's showing in this inaugural season they're having. Because, first of all, they, they had offers. Oh, gosh, I think, oddly enough, the Sun Belt seems to have been one of those that offered them to join several years ago, many years ago, comparatively, when the Sun Belt was not quite as prominent as it is now, having risen to be one of the, the better G5 conferences. And they were like, no, we're going to wait. We're going to wait for the right offer. Some had rumored that they were potentially hoping to be a part of Conference USA. And boy, how things changed there, right? But, you know, again, they were patient. Their AD has been with them for, since 1999. They had a long-term plan. So now that they've joined FBS, they had time to build up their facilities. They had time to build up a program that could hit the ground running. They're playing what amounts to a full FBS schedule. They didn't do a kind of a Habsies FCS FBS mix. They have like, I think only one. Um, they only have one FCS team on their schedule with Melbourne mm-hmm. State. And uh, the rest have been FBS programs. And of course, now they're 4-0. They seem like they may be... I wouldn't say favorite for all of their games, but their their schedule is is designed in such a way that the tougher games are in the latter half. They're going to have Marshall October twenty second. Then they're going to go at Louisville. I mean, Old Dominion, you guys. I mean, I, I have respect for the Monarchs, especially after you know you guys pulled another one on Virginia Tech at home. That was, I mean, at your own home. That was that was great. And then you know they, their finale in the regular season is Coastal Carolina, which could very well also be undefeated heading into that game, which would be exceptional. And that would actually be a home game for JMU. And, and you know, again, I don't know. There's probably going to be other games for uh, game day to go to, but that would be really intriguing if we had two undefeated Sunbelt teams because and then they'd be feasible undefeated Sunbelt teams in that November 26th game. And to be fair, game day's been to JMU twice already, so that wouldn't be anything new for them. So I'm not saying like that would be, oh my gosh, the first time like, you know, at State or, or Kansas that actually JMU has been there before. Yeah, you know, and as far as what they're going to do about the postseason, I'm sure, I believe, J.D., were they going to try it? I mean, they're going to wait till that point. They're not going to, to put the cart before the horse, but they may try to file for a waiver. I don't know if they can or not. Am I, am I incorrect about that, J.D.? I mean, I imagine they will file for a waiver, especially if, you know, there's some bull slots open or they're trying to look at, you know, the five and seven teams with APR or something else like that. And again, I think it's pretty confident that James Madison, uh, especially if they're showing dominance against this good of a schedule in their first year, like I think of 
you know, UTSA when they had their first transition season as a program and they were playing, you know, half of their schedule as FCS programs and not even the good FCS programs. Most of the, you know, we're barely D1 uh, type of colleges uh, were on that original schedule. Uh, But James Madison, uh, I think, has really been very purposeful about how they transition up. Uh, I mean, you know, their uh, AD, uh, Jeff Bourne, was telling us during his space, you know, they did their first feasibility study to go to FBS way back in 2012. Uh, And when they were told, hey, this is what you need facilities-wise, financially, uh, for stadium capacity, analysts, staff, all that kind of uh, stuff that goes into building a program, uh, they very specifically waited until they had all of those pieces, became the FCS juggernaut, and then they transitioned up into FBS football, where they've been killing it so far. Uh, I think it's a very exciting season for James Madison, and I think especially if, you know, they're posting, you know, let's say a hypothetical 10-2 and record or something similar like that, I find it very difficult for, uh, you know, even the NCAA to look at this and say hey no you know what we're actually going to give it to uh five and seven rutgers uh because technically the number next to their apr says 930 or whatever else that is uh, I, I i'm fairly confident that we're going to see uh james madison continue to make some noise in the postseason if in fact they do end up uh, having a fantastic season like they look like they are i'm a little bit more hesitant to believe the ncaa would be competent in that situation but i wouldn't blame jme for trying and the the team I always like to compare this James Madison squad against is the 2014 Georgia Southern team. That was their first program in FBS where they they went undefeated in the Sun Belt. They went 8-0 in Sun Belt play. They lost three of their four non-conference games. So they ended up going a, a very respectful 9-3, but they couldn't play in any postseason. However... They did win the Sun Belt because at that point, the Sun Belt didn't have a championship game. It was just the team with the best record. So that was them with an undefeated record. But of course, they didn't start out, you know, 4-0. and They actually started out 2-2. Two and two. So this James Madison team has, you know, improved on that precedent. But again, we'll see. The Sun Belt still, they're... I remember when we had Commissioner Keith Gill on the show, I kind of said, are you guys going to be like the Pac-12 historically? Are you going to start cannibalizing each other? And then we watch, that's what we watched. Troy, you know, App State came close. And then next to the next game, you see, you see App State fall. So it's, it, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm going to be careful. There might be some wild night where James Madison does have an unexpected, you know, loss. But we're staying optimistic. We'll see how that goes. Maybe it'll be the Old Dominion. Who knows? They have to go play in Norfolk. So that could very well be it. Um, I, I hope this. so. I, I hope bet you so. <laughs> were, you at, were you at the Virginia Tech game by chance? Oh, yeah. I'm a, I'm a season ticket holder, actually. I brought my dad, who was a Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech alumni, to the game with me. We have uh, tickets on the first row in the 20. Uh, so, yeah, we uh, unfortunately had a – he loved – he had a like, had a great time, just wish the result was different. Um, and actually, for the uh, Liberty game, uh, this actually – you probably think this would be interesting, but actually I won a sideline pass for the Liberty game last weekend, and we decided to stand in the back of the end zone. Didn't think anything would happen. And then that one-handed catch that Liberty did was – literally oh, right in front of us. that was amazing. That was an yeah. utterly amazing catch. I, I, I'll say, we actually got a video of it from the, from that angle, if you guys want it, but uh, just let me know. Yeah, send it our way. We'd love to share that. That would be great. Yeah, we. I remember when that was that play happened, I, it just sort of spread really quickly on social, and we, we saw it, and it's, if you haven't seen it, it's an incredible one-headed grab. It was probably one of the catches, one of the plays of Saturday, for sure. 
Liberty, you know, they're what they are. They're they're a solid team, and they definitely will come out there. And it's it, whatever team. I don't think anyone knows. I think right now James Madison certainly is the leader in the the Commonwealth as a state, as far as being the the team to beat. Because the rest of them all seem all over the place. It's it's hard to hard to pick a leader right now. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. That was it was great to talk about that. Of course. Hey, Thack, it's good to see you again. What's up? What's up, boys? You know what I'm about to talk about? What a week, dude, for the goddamn Missouri Tigers, dude. What a heartbreak. And, uh, man, I, I think I might have caused it. I said something nice to a damn Kansas fan. And uh, uh, when we were up by, by, by a couple points, and I think I might have ruined it. But, uh, you know, look, you had the Luther Burden uh, Instagram deletion timeline. Yeah, I don't want to. I want to shout out that uh, moron Steve Sarma at On3 Sports who immediately suggested that he was going to the transfer portal and sitting out or whatever. He wrote an article about it as soon as it happened. And, uh, yeah, he's going to transfer after a year, but uh, probably. I mean, I'm just being realistic. It's it's Missouri. But uh, you didn't have to write it in a goddamn article. Uh, but man, that was just brutal. I think we should, uh, Missouri fans should honestly at this point take an, uh, Iowa approach. Like, uh, uh, we, we root for the, uh, special teams almost, you know, we need, uh, we need They have the, we root for the punter. I was up in Iowa city a couple weekends ago, man, when they announced his name, that it was, uh, it was the Nevada game. Right. And, uh, when they had Tory, when they had, uh, when they had Tory Taylor announced that the, the player lineups, everyone went fucking nuts. I was in the student section and when Petros came up, everybody booed, which, you know, I don't totally agree with booing college players. It was pretty entertaining. I think somebody needs to get that goddamn Mevis kid, a, uh, a NIL shirt deal. that says, uh, we root for the kicker now playoff, uh, playoff Tory Taylor at, uh, Iowa over there. But man, what a what an absolute rush! I mean, the other thing too is I want to say what a coaching carousel week it's been. Uh, I think somebody's got to hire Tom Herman at this point. I think Lance Leipold goes somewhere. I think Kansas should hire Tom Herman, and then Tom Herman beats Steve Sarkeesian in the ultimate mega matchup of 2023. And uh, that would be the most fascinating shit ever, watching Tom Herman beat Sark at, uh, in Kansas or some shit like that. But, uh, yeah, what a week for the Tigers, man. And uh, it's it's it was a heartbreaker, that's for sure. Uh, but we, we didn't uh, – the defense was great, good points there. But, uh, man, I think Georgia just played terribly. I knew from the first two drives, the fumble, the you know, all of the first quarter – offense mishaps what happened i am i had originally after watching the first week in the georgia game i had stenson bennett on heisman watch what what's what's happening here with uh with bennett what do you guys think man first and foremost uh again what a game for mizzou i know it didn't end the way that they wanted but harrison mevis you know kicking five field goals one from about 55 uh the strut <laughs> the celebration uh on the thicker kicker i absolutely loved seeing that swagger from him on the field mizzou has a special kid uh with that kicker uh, i also think 
uh, you know, at least for this game. I know that, you know, we've had you up on here before talking about Eli Drinkwitz probably might not be the guy. But after you look at this game, you know, Georgia was favored uh, by almost 28 in this one. uh, And he ended up, you know, uh, making this a close game that Georgia was fighting for its life to try to score a touchdown against Mizzou. I mean, does this put uh, more faith with you in Eli Drinkwitz or is this still more of like a neutral tone of, you know, he's still got something to prove out here? Uh, no, man, I, I, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big, uh, not, yeah, not at all. I'm a pretty big, big on, uh, big on Drinkwitz. I've been on big, big on Drinkwitz for a while. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm leaning on more in the side of, I'm really upset that people last week were, so upset with him that you know there were there were mumblings on the the message boards uh you know is this guy is this our guy i i i thought for a while it's 100 percent our guy look at look at how long it took brian ference to build iowa well not now but you know it, it took brian ference a, you know more than a couple of years of mediocrity and honestly shit to to build iowa to where Mizzou wants to be, you know, they're never going to be a big contender, but if they can, you know, win a decent amount of games and maybe get to an SEC championship every once in a while, I mean, I think that's that's the end goal here. We're not trying to be the Alabama 2.0, and, you know, that, that doesn't happen at Mizzou in three years, and it doesn't happen at any school in three years. So that's why I'm, kind, I'm very confused with, uh, with some of the uh, coach firing decisions, especially in the, the last this year, we're giving guys almost a three, four year leash and that's it. You know, I understand Scott Frost. That was a shit show, but you know, what's, what is going on over at Wisconsin? They, you're, you're, you're giving, you're giving people a really short leash here. And you know, it's, it's not, uh, it, it, it's not, it takes more than a three, four years to build a program. And, you know, Barry Odom wasn't the right guy. I think he got about three, three years. I want to say three, four years. He was not the right guy, but you know, who would, who could have, you know, if we still had Barry Odom today, you know, what, what, you know, what would our program look like? Would it be better? Would it be worse? You know, that's, that's up in the air. I, I, I think you got to give drink with some time, man. You know, uh, you got to give him a pretty long leash. He's bringing in a good recruiting class. So I can't complain. Looking at what we saw from Mizzou against Georgia and that close game with, uh, with Auburn as well, which was its own, you know, its own bag. I think there is an opportunity for Mizzou to, to really be in most of their future games. I mean, I wonder what would be enough to, to please Mizzou fans. And it was interesting. He brought up Kirk Ferentz. And I think that was a great, the great comparison because I remember when he started there, you know, he started with one win and then by 2002 made it to that orange bowl run with, you know, I remember watching that game because I'm a USC fan. So that was, you know, Brian Banks and uh, Carson Palmer was uh, the, the number one and the, the Heisman winner against the Heisman runner up. I think that was actually one of the first times that had ever occurred in a bowl game from the same year. So, yeah, it took him four years to do it. Now, so when you're looking at what Drink's doing, he's been there now for three. You know, he's incrementally gotten better. You know, five and five, six and seven. The heading in after this Georgia game, it seems like they have a fighting chance because Florida doesn't look that strong, and they're going to be playing at Florida. I'm very curious to see how that game goes. Vanderbilt's Vanderbilt. You know, we'll see how they. We like <laughs> we have a special appreciation for Vanderbilt, but the other Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Who knows how they're going to be? I mean, they, almost all these games seem winnable. I mean. At Tennessee, at this point, seems to be the toughest of them all because that's going to be a challenge going into Neyland with what 
the Vols are looking like this season. But the rest of the games, there's there's a puncher's chance in all of them, especially if the team we saw this past weekend shows up and builds off of it. And I think that's going to be as much on drink as anything else. Can he get the team to to realize, like, oh, my gosh, we nearly knocked off Georgia, <laughs> you know? We nearly pulled the unthinkable upset, which would have been one of the bigger upsets of the season. I'm not going to say of all time because they weren't – I mean, Missouri isn't that, that bad. It isn't like Stanford being USC in 2007 or uh, Howard being UNLV. I think there's got to be some positivity there. J.D., what do you think? I think it is uh, at least – it's a good reset year to try to figure out where exactly that program wants to go. I think, especially after this game, I mean, I think everybody expected, you know, after that Auburn game where nobody wanted to win, uh, the opportunity to come out and just show so much life against such a strong opponent in Georgia, uh, that has to be reassuring for a lot of different Mizzou fans. And as far as, uh, you know, Eli Drinkwitz goes, he started the season a little bit on the hot seat. He had some strong recruiting classes to help him out. Uh, but to see that kind of competition, it's kind of similar like uh, how we were talking about Maryland a little bit earlier. They brought in Mike Loxley, uh, and their entire objective is, hey, how do we become bowl contenders on a consistent basis? How do we not embarrass ourselves against the top-end blue blood competition? I think Eli Drinkwitz is on his way to doing that. And I think at least if you're a Mizzou fan, uh, you know you can kind of hope and wait for another weird 23 13 2014 era where you can just kind of rise to the top when everybody else is down uh but if you consistently show out like you did on saturday night even if it's a loss in a respectable way i mean that's going to go so far for those guys out in mizzou uh to build a program to build a culture and to bring guys who not only will continue to uh, continue to make that team an established presence, but also make it into something greater. Like this could be something of, you know, today's the first day of making yourself respectable against these teams. Maybe you pull off some upsets against Florida. You continue to do really well against the South Carolinas and the Vanderbilts. Uh, but then that builds on and that builds on. And then suddenly you're looking competitive against Kentucky. You're looking competitive against Tennessee. You're looking competitive against Florida year in and year out. Uh, that's something that I think Mizzou can definitely aspire to and if Eli Drinkwitz uh, can continue building like he did on Saturday, I think that's a definite w- winning game plan that uh, Mizzou should definitely be looking towards. Yeah, Beck, I have one question for you. This is this is a slightly different topic, but it is Mizzou centered. We recently heard that they're going to be heading back to St. Louis for a game next season. They moved that Memphis game over to the Dome. What are you thinking about that? Are you happy to hear about that? Or is that something that makes you excited as a Mizzou fan? Yeah, so I'm kind of on the fence of the, on this. I'm, 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 I'm not a big fan of, uh, of uh, neutral site games in general. I think there's a couple, the Red River shootout, the cocktail party is hanging on. But uh, other than that, uh, there's been a resurgence in trying to schedule these, you know, uh, not uh neutral site games and you know i'm not really a massive fan of it but uh i'm glad that it's not a a missouri home game we get to retain that home game and uh well to be honest as much as i as much as my my big my biggest uh my disdain is for neutral site games i live in st louis and it makes it easier to go out to one more game a year so i can't complain yeah, I imagine there's a huge Mizzou contingent in St. Louis. I think because it is almost like I'm actually surprised Memphis agreed to it because it was supposed to be at the Liberty Bowl. I, maybe there's there's some background to that I'm unfamiliar with. I, I do admit I'm not as up to up to it on uh, 
what's going on in the Memphis football program if they're doing some work on that stadium. Yeah, they are doing some very well needed uh, repairs and uh, improvements to the Liberty Bowl. So I imagine putting that type of neutral site uh, game out there uh, probably gives them a little bit of breathing room to work on some of the structural engineering or some of the things that you don't necessarily want a huge crowd in for. Oh, man. Reminds me of that King of the Hill episode about Memphis where they asked him, well, what's the bad part of Memphis? Memphis? Oh, okay. <laughs> I love Memphis. I've been there. Uh, you know, it's a great, it's a great town. Good food, Beale Street. You know, Peabody Ducks. I've done it all. So I, I actually do enjoy Memphis. Graceland. Oh gosh, forgot to mention that. I might get knifed by uh, someone from Memphis if I don't mention Graceland. But um, no, it's Memphis. You'll be shot. <laughs> oh goodness. But yeah, no. So well, Thack, thanks for joining us. It was great hearing from you, man. Yeah, no problem, fellas. And yeah, I, I one more thing. I, I wrote this for, I wrote this entire season off as a loss, so I'm not expecting anything. I, you know, if we can drink and consistently get to six, seven wins, I think uh, Missouri fans will be happy. The sane ones, at least. So I'm not too new, too worried. We got some young talent, but uh, happy to have football back in the dome, man. I want I I I uh, I, uh, I love that place, man. It's sacred. It's goddamn sacred in St. Louis. And anybody who says otherwise is a moron. Take it easy, fellas. Thanks, man. It was great hearing from you. Yeah, and I remember I remember how down you were on the the future of, of the Tigers this season. And then, yeah, it's, it's definitely gotten a lot more positive. Well, J.D., as we kind of slowly wrap up here, what are your thoughts heading into the upcoming weekend of college football? You know, I am the biggest Aaron Judge fan tonight, and I'm so sad that he will not be on my television <laughs> screen this upcoming Saturday because the man finally did it. Uh, you know, I'm at least more than anything else, I'm excited to turn on college football and watch college football this weekend uh, without baseball dropping in. Uh, obviously, I'm a huge fan of baseball itself. I think it's wonderful that he's chasing after the record. Uh, but, you know, if anything else, if I'm turning on a game to watch college football, I can watch the highlights somewhere else of Aaron Judge. I don't need to watch every strikeout, every walk, every flyout, every grounder. Uh, the fact that we don't have that threat looming against us anymore the national nightmare is over. We have just playing college football again. And for that, all the citizens shall rejoice. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, one other thing I wanted to mention, and it was just one of the uh, the more popular topics on our CFP, because I said Lance Leipold said that, you know, he calls Paul Christ his friend, and he said it was unfortunate a guy who averages nine wins a year gets let go. Do we think that's uh, do we read tea leaves into that, or is that just sort of a statement that should be kind of taken in a vacuum? I'm sure there were there were reporters trying to to trick him into sounding like he was interested in that job. I don't think it's necessarily a trick. I think it's just more, you know, a statement of you know, if you are a college football coach, we've heard before from other programs and coaches who are no longer in the league. I mean, we had Bo Pelini on the show not too terribly long ago, back in the offseason. And he was talking about, you know, he was let go from Nebraska for, despite winning so many games a year. And, you know, that's an issue for especially these older coaches who, you know, they're trying to just make sure that their heads are above water. They're trying to make sure that their guys are organized, out playing good football and getting wins. Uh, and certainly when that type of power is taken away from you and you have these 
unrealistic expectations from boosters, from athletic directors, from all these other individuals that really influence that position. I can understand that. Now, granted, I don't have sympathy for it because, you know, Paul Christ, you know, walked out, you know, with a settled down amount of, you know, a mere $11 million to no longer coach football. Uh, Wisconsin, I'll just give you a shout out. Um, I will get fired from you and not coach football for you anymore for only $1 million a year. I will be a dang bargain compared to Paul Christ or Jim Leonard, whoever decide you want to go with this year. Just know that I'm available and on the table to be fired. But uh, no, I don't think anything for Lance Leipold. I don't think that's malicious. I don't think that's any necessarily tea leaves. I think that's just a coach lamenting things that I'm sure coaches lament behind closed doors. Absolutely. Yeah, well, my favorite comment, and it's actually the top comment on the post is by what, I mean, the username is what if everyone was calm, but you know who doesn't fire coaches for only winning nine games? Kansas. And then he, he adds in football, if basketball, that would be an all-time coaching, coaching implosion if Kansas only won nine games in hoops. But, but certainly, I, we, as we've said before, Kansas should make an offer to him like Kentucky did to Stoops, where it's like, look, if, if you win seven games, you have an automatic one-year extension and just keep on going, keep on rolling and, and let Kansas really develop under his watch. Well, we're wrapping up right now. It's coming up to an hour. It's, it's a nice, clean hour. We usually like to keep it to that for these call-in shows, um, although sometimes we go longer. Tonight's a good night. We already had a, we already had a show earlier today, so we're, I think we're both a little beat. So thanks to all of you who joined us. It was great hearing from you. You have no idea how much we enjoy hearing from all of you and your thoughts on college football. So always feel free to join us on Tuesday nights. Hit request. We want to hear from you. We'll do our best to hear from as many of you as we can. So on behalf of all of us, on behalf of JD, on behalf of Sirius, who wasn't able to make it tonight because he's driving, thank you for joining us. Hope you have a great night. Now I'm going to hang up and listen.